0: Hello and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Mundley.
1: And I am your other co-host Connor McNamara Stratton.
0: And together we read a
1: poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare moment. It would mean the world to us if you drop a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Those reviews help boost us up the algorithm and are a great way for us to find new listeners.
1: If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on so many different social medias.
0: On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn and Connor is at Connor M. Stratton
1: on instagram the show is at close talking poetry and on facebook it's facebook.com slash close talking
0: we also have a whole website just for the podcast. It is close where you can find all the past episodes of the show and cardboard box productions has a newsletter unboxed. So if you go to Inc.com, you can subscribe for more behind the scenes stuff on close talking and on all the literary and cultural history podcasts that cardboard box productions makes. All right, on with the show. Hello and welcome to this all new episode of Close Talking. I am co host Jack Rossiter Mundley. And I'm co host Connor McNamara Stratton. And today we are coming to you not at our regularly scheduled time, not with our regularly scheduled format. We are doing a show all about the National Book Awards. Woo! Woo! They are happening.
1: They happened. They're trending. They're timely. We are keeping up with the news
0: in Yeah, 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 we got our finger on the pulse of the literary world. Absolutely. We're taking its temperature, we're taking its blood pressure, and we're saying we're with you, we're on your wavelength, we know what you're all about. Um, We're doing this because last year we did this, and it is one of our most successful episodes ever. People seem to really like it, so... You know, we're doing it again. If you like what we do here in general, or if you think that this is a cool thing that we're doing, uh, specifically talking about the National Book Awards winner and finalists and long list, uh, you know what we're going to say. Rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We love to hear it.
1: We love to hear it. We love the ratings and reviews. And um, yeah, and this this was a very exciting National Book Awards. One thing that I love... That maybe I mentioned on the last time is, you know, not that we're pitting things against each other, but to pit something against one uh, another thing. Um, You know, the two the two heavy hitter poetry awards in the U.S. anyway, are the Pulitzer and the National Book Awards. And the Pulitzer likes to sneak up on you. you. You don't know. You wake up one morning all of the winners are announced at once with no warning. It's the spring sometime, someday. And the National <laughs> Book surprise, Awards. It's a Pulitzer. <laughs> surprise. I know. I imagine that they just kind of um, find the winners wherever they are on the street and just kind of bum rush them in a van just and then throw just... a medal
0: at them and say, <laughs> you got, you got pulitzer <laughs> Um But no, the National Book Awards, it's a whole banquet and it's a celebration of art and literature and letters and everybody gives speeches about how important books are. And it's like, you know, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And they got a long list. They got a short list. They got, they got a whole process and it's all out in the open.
1: Yeah. Which I love because, you know, and they announce the long list quite a bit ahead of time. And then they announce the finalists still with a decent time before they announce the winner. And so there's, there's kind of a a good stretch of time where you can sit with all the contenders, and I just I like it because there's just a lot of books out there, and so it's nice to know. And and it's like once you get to you're at the long list for the National Book Award, it's like it's like poetry is already subjective. Some things, you know, we talk a lot <laughs> on the podcast about. What makes something good or whatever. But it's like all of these books are. It can also be
0: like, what are you in the mood for right now? Yeah. Which is another argument for long lists because it gives you a bigger smorgasbord to choose from where it's like, okay, so the submissions for the National Book Awards, there's literally like hundreds of books that get sent in for the long list.
1: There's five finalists and there were five other ones who didn't make the finalists but were in the long list. Right.
0: So it's um, it's ten books culled out of hundreds. The jury is always a bunch of very conscientious, highly accomplished poets. Yeah, this year's jury was chaired by Kwame Dawes, and the jury included recent former U.S. poet laureate Juan Felipe Herrera, as well as Keisha Kuyper's January Gill O'Neill and Miter Vang. So yeah, that's a pretty great group of folks to be reading a ton of poetry books and selecting 10 on you know a whole host of different personal criteria and a whole host of different general criteria that maybe they discussed as a whole jury when they were figuring out how to put those lists together and i'm sure that they all have 10 other books that they would all feel very good about having sit on that list alongside the ones that were actually chosen but you know it a long list of 10 gives you a lot to choose from as a poetry reader to to look for some recommendations or some you know, folks who you've been thinking about reading a book from or haven't or, you know, just a little a little direction in the in the vast world of the of the poetry book.
1: Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. And we are recording this the, the day that it was announced Wednesday, November 16th. Yeah. And the winner of the National Book Award for poetry was John Keen, Um Ooh. for his book punks new and selected poems published by the song cave yeah i am super excited to read this book and to read more of his work he gave a beautiful um acceptance speech yeah and i i was like i got a little chills cuz at the end of the speech um keen just quoted the the last quoted the last two lines of, um, the kind of the famous Robert Hayden poem, those winter Sundays. What did I know? What did I know of love's austere and lonely offices? Um, which I, which I thought was just a marvelous uh, note to close on, especially because his, his speech was, you know, about supporting all kinds of, you know, librarians, um, Workers in publishing, workers everywhere, LGBTQ plus people, queer people, trans people um, and people who, you know, he gave a shout out to climate change um, and but also like people who fight for social justice and then kind of was like and the role that literature plays in that struggle and then kind of closed with the Hayden line. What did I know? What did I know? of Love's austere and lonely offices, which I thought was, um, yeah, just just beautiful.
0: Yeah, it was a really lovely moment, and he gave an excellent, excellent speech. And we will talk a lot more about Punks and John Keane, but first let's talk a little bit about the long list and the other finalists. Yeah, we
1: um, on the long list was Rio Cortez's book Golden Axe, which was published by Penguin. Um, There was Jay Hoppler's book, Still Life, which was published by McSweeney's. Um, There was Sherry Shinoda's book, Mummy Eaters, um, which was by University of
0: Nebraska Press. I think that's Um, my favorite title.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And that was Um, like a real phenomenon. Oh, really? Yeah, People Ate Mummies. Whoa. As like okay. a medicine thing, I don't. Dang. I haven't read the book, so I don't know how much that's a part of it. But like, I just I love the title. I love everything about it. I'm into it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then there was Quincy Troop's book Duende, um, by Seven Stories Press, uh, and Shelley Wong's book As She Appears, uh, which was published by Yes Yes Books.
0: That's my favorite press name.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, books. Yeah. It's a. It's a. Joyful. It's a great name. It is joyful.
0: John um, Lennon said that he liked Yoko Ono because he went to her art show and she had a, like a thing up on the ceiling with a magnifying glass, and when you, put the magnifying glass up to it, it just said yes a bunch of times, and he thought that was nice instead of like no or fuck off or something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I like that. That's cool. Yeah, I. No, um, knocking on uh, Penguin, um, specifically, but I feel like you know it's one of those big presses, and the more I am in the po the poetry and the publishing world, it's like the more I'm associating penguins with Penguin books and less mm. with the fun animal penguins. Yeah. So I'm with you. I think yes, yes, books, excellent.
0: I love it. Yeah, penguin is good because penguins are great. Do you ever read the book Tacky? No. It's not a cool penguin. <laughs> he's not like all the other penguins. Okay. He hangs out with these other penguins called Goodly, Lovely Angel, Neatly Imperfect, and they always like sing in harmony and count normally. And he's like, What's happening? I'm tacky. I do what I want. I'm a cool penguin. <laughs> he wears like Hawaiian shirts and stuff. He's a cool dude. Check out Tacky um yeah that's cool. the long list pretty cool long list
1: yeah yeah no i'm i'm excited for all these books and uh yeah and then these were part of the long list that ended up on the finalist list um there was none other than look at this blue um which was by allison adele hedge published by none other than minneapolis's own coffeehouse press
0: Hey,
1: hey, and we just recently did uh, an episode about one of her poems, episode 172. The poem was A Time, which was from her book Streaming, which came out in 2014. Um, also, Coffee House, which we didn't mention this on the I, it was funny because I think we both were going to talk about this and then forgot, and then I texted you after, and you were like, oh yeah, I was going to talk about that. Yeah, Um, it's
0: like a cool thing about the book that we both just kind of, we got so into the poem that we forgot to come back to (laughs) mentioning (laughs) this part of it. Yeah. Um, There's like a
1: full music sound art album um, that is basically accompanies the the poem and and she um reads the poems and then there's two um other musicians and artists that kind of accompany and it's it's very cool and look at this blue i have not yet read but i'm really really looking forward to um it's a book length poem quote it is interweaving legacy indictment and hope into a love letter to california Look at this blue examines America's genocidal past and present to warn of a future threatened by mass extinction and climate peril.
0: Um, it's got a lot of stuff that's right up your alley. I know, I know. It's poetry. <laughs> it's climate catastrophe. <laughs> yeah, it's America's genocidal past. All the stuff that you love learning about. Um, yeah, no, it looks really interesting. And also, I li- I just generally I like that it's a book length poem that's always an interesting kind of project for someone to undertake i think probably citizen is the most recent work that's come close to that that a lot of folks would be aware of and have read other famous works in the genre include the odyssey or (laughs) (laughs) whatever no um
1: (laughs) that reminds me of um there's a i think it's from Autobiography of Red, which is um, by Anne Carson, and there's a line in the beginning that's like, um, "Such and such was born between the time of Thucydides and uh, Gertrude Stein, a difficult era time to be alive as a poet, <laughs> or something like that." I'm paraphrasing, but it was like, "That's fantastic, okay. yeah,
0: <laughs>
1: tough." <laughs> um, anyway. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah, Definitely. I mean there's like howl, there's like self-portrait in a convex mirror. Um this is one's lesser known, but uh Dion Brand has a book, Ossuaries, that is book length that's really good. Um, but it's true, it's it's um it's quite a feat. I mean without Without the narrative pull, it's like, how do you sustain um, a, a, a poem for for the length of, of a full collection? I'm very, very excited to, to read this one.
0: John Brown's Body, which we talked about a while ago, is another classic bestseller even from that genre. Yeah, that's right. Um, from quite a while ago also not unlike the odyssey um, <laughs> but yeah and, and it, as you're so right like it's such a particular kind of project to undertake and to decide to kind of commit to something of that scale in the poetic genre is is it's a big it's a big decision and it's a big kind of artistic undertaking um so it's pretty cool yeah it is cool
1: um yeah, and another finalist who I kind of this is like such a silly comparison that I shouldn't even say it out loud. But mm. I was thinking it's like okay, book length poem, and then I was like, Oh yeah. So one of the other ones um is Ballads by Sharon Olds, who is an with absolute a Z. Ballads. Ballads, ballads of the Z. But I was thinking, and we'll say more, but she said about that. About this book, quote, no one should read more than one poem at a time from this book. <laughs> Someone might get a serious stomach ache from reading several of these in a row, which is an amazing uh thing to say while ostensibly plugging your own book yeah it's um, a pretty
0: interesting assessment and that was also a quote that she gave that was in her big october 2022 new york times profile so oh, wow. it's like the biggest possible stage where she's like i don't know about this guy <laughs> uh, read it at your own risk friends like <laughs> yeah um if and you're it, listening well, to this yeah. you probably know who sharon Olds is <laughs> which is yes. also probably why she can say things like that in the New York Times. Um, yes. she's won almost everything there is to win. Interestingly, not a national book award, mm. national book Critics circle award. Yes. Back in 1984, uh, but not the national book award. She's been a finalist more than once, but has yet to win. I thought I had a suspicion going into it that this was going to be her year. Hmm. I know that's who you had guessed. I I did guess I I really did almost go for John Keane, but
1: let me let me tell you folks. I didn't. Jack <laughs> owes me a lot of money right now. He <laughs> lost the wager big time.
0: Well, so here was my thinking, right? <laughs> this is the year she this year she won the Ruth Lilly Poetry Prize. Which is True. like a big thing to win, but it's also it felt like maybe this was her year to pick up a bunch of the stuff that she just hasn't yet, for whatever reason, when she's won almost everything. She's got Guggenheim, fellowships, NEA. She's you know got the Poetry Society of America's Frost Medal for Distinguished Lifetime Achievement, which I think was also just recently that she got that. It felt like she was on that sort of like elder statesman collecting the last... <laughs> laurels you know oh yeah Um, like when people like get
1: like honorary doctorates from like every college or something
0: yeah or like it's a special tony (laughs) award or it's like i don't know somebody's nominated for best actor for the fifth time or something and they've never won it but or you know it's like martin scorsese wins best director for the departed in 2006 or whatever you know it, yeah. it felt like maybe that was what was good, but no, um, which is not necessarily <laughs> a commentary on ballads by all accounts, an excellent book. Um, but yeah, she, as I said, she was going to be my pick for going into the awards. She was the, I thought she was possibly going to, going to grab it next um, time, next time, next time. I do recommend the New York times profile of her. Cause it's, it's quite good. Um, and it really gets into a lot of the ways that her work is, often talked about, and it questions some of them, which is sort of like there's the idea that she's such a confessional poet, and a couple Mm. of people in the piece make the point of like, I don't know that she's any more confessional than this male writer or this male writer or this male (laughs) writer. Yeah, They seem to also be pretty open about a lot of the same stuff, but for some reason, that's not the first term that we come up with when we talk about them. Um, which isn't to say that Sharon Olds isn't confessional or that those guys aren't. It's just that their work gets described very differently. Um, there's also really amazing pictures of her with her big, long, flowing white hair uh, in black and white photography in that uh, article, which is also pretty cool.
1: <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah, um, yeah and we um, we did, it seems like, long ago, um, although I guess it wasn't, too too long ago.
0: Well, it was kind of long ago. It was um, a whole pandemic ago. It was definitely a pandemic. Oh, jeez. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I distinctly remember recording that episode, and it was when I was living in Manhattan.
1: Ah, right. Yeah, episode eighty-six. Um, we talked about armor, um, which is a marvelous poem by Sharon olds. Um, yeah. So I guess we're. We're uh, almost 100 episodes later. um. So, yeah, I'm very, very excited. And I had, so I started to make this dumb comparison, and now I said that I shouldn't make it, but now, of course, I'm going to come back to it. Do it. Because I've committed in my head. Basically, there was the one year when um, Birdman and Boyhood came out the same time and I remember and like Birdman famously is like one shot or whatever it looks like that you or whatever it that way yeah yeah and then Boyhood Not on, is like, like the
0: Revenant oh same director
1: oh okay he's got a shtick um, got a thing. and then yeah Boyhood is like shot over many many years and I remember I think it was like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler were the co-hosts but they were like, okay, this is one's all one shot in one time it's like ninety minutes and then this one's like many, many years and then I was like, oh yeah, it's kind of like ballads. you read one in one sitting then you take a long breather, but for look at this blue, it's a book length poem. you dwell on it continuously for as long as you so so
0: choose so. That's where I went, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now I'm going to think about Birdman and Boyhood poetry books. That's such a fun... <laughs> this is the one... It's it's the same for some TV shows, you know? There's the ones where you just want to watch 100 episodes of Frasier in a day. <laughs> and then there's other shows where you watch one episode of some kind of, you know, medieval depravity or whatever. And you're like, great, that's fine. I'll come back to this (laughs) in another week or two. Although I do.
1: Yeah. I honestly think that there's a lot of, especially first collections that are basically boyhood where it's like, yeah, well, I wrote this when I was 19 and it was about when I was 12. And then I wrote this when I was 23 and it was about when I was 14 And uh, then we end with, I'm 30, and I'm writing about when I'm 25. And so it's like, okay. Well, yeah, so then we got a couple more finalists. We got Roger Reeves and his book, Best Barbarian, which is a pretty amazing title.
0: I think that um, one is my favorite title of the finalists. Yeah. Also, I like the double alliteration of Best Barbarian by Roger Reeves. That just true. sounds so good. That's very true.
1: Um, yeah, and that one uh was published by Norton. Um and yeah, Keys, he um his first book was King Me, which came out in 2013. He is a very um established and acclaimed poet himself um he got the 08 Ruth Lilly and NEA in 2013 he was best new poets in 09 um all oh, right he had probably, a
0: he had a poem in the best new poets of 2009 collection
1: that's right okay yes um
0: or anthology
1: and, okay um yeah, and he's really good, and I've read like a bunch of his poems, sort of individually, um, and l- like love them all. Um,
0: well, it's really interesting that you mentioned the boyhood versus birdman theory of uh, <laughs> oh no <laughs> reading books because I feel like there's also a because of how films are made. Boyhood was done over 12 years. And there's the whole thing of like, you spend your life writing your first book. And then the second one comes out a year later. And the same thing for albums with musicians. Um, And he actually got asked about that in an interview. And because this Best Barbarian is the next book uh, after King Me, which came out at this point, nine years ago, it came out in 2013. Um, But when he was asked about that, he was sort of saying, you know, I think that at least didn't quite resonate with his process. And he was talking about how even when you're working on one book, maybe you're working on the next. And he was saying of his own book writing process, I've noticed a pattern in my book writing, which is that I write two for one for every book I put out. I've written two to three. I actually thought another book was going to be the second book, but I didn't know how to edit it. So I know uh, there's quite a few musicians who work that way where they'll record you know, 40 songs and pick eight to go on a record, or they'll record what they think is a record and then just kind of shelve it for a while while they work on something else. Um, because they're just prolific songwriters, or once they get into the studio, they're working on one project, but then what they want to actually say changes. The same for people writing books. You're and that goes for, you know, you hear people in poetry, in fiction, in nonfiction all talk about that experience where they're working on one project and in the middle of working on it, they kind of start another one. And then that one ends up being the thing that comes out next. So everybody kind of knows that as the second thing when really the real second thing was the project they were working on before the (laughs) one that ended up coming out faster, you know, Um, in the movie world, I think the big Lebowski was like that for the Coen brothers. They just kind of started writing it on a whim while doing other projects. Mm. You know, it was like a fun side distraction, but then, it became bigger than those projects. The same for the lion King with Disney. That was originally like the second tier project at the time. And oh, wow. it ended up being, yeah. Cause it was like well, Hamlet with lions. Like who cares about this? <laughs> right. But it ended up being the bigger movie, you know?
1: Yeah, no, that's fascinating. I, yeah, I love learning those, those things about, um, poet's process. Um, But yeah, best barbarian seems also seems amazing. And I'm really excited to read it as well. Um, Yeah. And how they, how Norton describes it is captures it. And it makes me a little, um, I'm like, maybe it was cool that I referenced some movies from (laughs) pop culture. um, I'm also
0: feeling cooler about having reference to the odyssey. (laughs)
1: Um, But, yeah, Norton says the poems, quote, the poems in Best Barbarian roam across the literary and social landscape from Beowulf's Grendel to the jazz musician Alice Coltrane reckoning with immigration at the U.S.-Mexico border to thinking through the fraught beauty of the moon on a summer night after the police have killed a black man. And, you know, goes on to say that there's there's meditations and references on and to Walt Whitman, James Baldwin, Sappho, Dante, as well as Drake and Beyonce,
0: Gilgamesh and the Aeneid.
1: Yeah, it's all those ancient all references.
0: There. He's on my ancient wavelength right now.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah. No, it sounds fascinating and it's it's always interesting when you have those works that are really explicitly in conversation with so many different aspects of like the accepted canon and also the developing canon of pop forms you know like Beyonce and Drake are definitely in the contemporary pop canon and to take that as seriously as Sappho Dante Gilgamesh whatever that's a move that is much more accepted now than it was even maybe 15 or 20 years ago but it's always I always like that kind of stuff that's willing to put those voices in direct conversation and in conversation with the writer and to like develop your own Thoughts and your own art, building on all of that stuff and having such an expansive view of your own kind of influences and, you know, the artistic world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which brings us to our last finalist, Jenny Shia, and her book, The Rupture Tense, um, which is also a marvelous title, um, which came out uh, with Grey Wolf Press. Uh, another amazing Minneapolis publisher Minneapolis um, is
0: coming for the National Book Awards.
1: I know. I know. Well, and Jenny Shia is, too, because her first book, I level, which also came out with uh, Gray Wolf, was um, also a finalist for the National Book Award. So two for two in National Book finalists pretty damn good i would have to say
0: it's incredible (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's like that's really good i guess the only thing better would be winning them but at the same time it's like i i think most folks would take double finalist (laughs) batting a thousand on finalists i write a book it's a national book award finalist it's just what i do i'm jenny shia like (laughs) you're on my level everybody I mean, seriously, it's like very cool. Um, She is another poet whose work we have discussed on the podcast even longer ago than Sharon Olds. Got to her before Sharon Olds. Wow. Um, We talked about her poem Private Property back on episode 72. Um, That's a great poem and was a really fun episode to record um, because it gave us an excuse to talk about late capitalism amongst many. Yes. And it's always fun to rage about the economic systems that structure our reality. Um, Yeah. And she's won a bunch of other awards. She won the 2017 Walt Whitman award from, for the Academy of American poets really quite incredible. Um, But the rupture tense is like a really specific kind of work growing out of her own uh, experiences with her family history in China and, uh, she talks a little bit about, there's an interview she did with the Yale Review where she talked about kind of the genesis of the project. And she said, many of the poems in The Rupture Tense receded during and shortly after a trip I took to China in 2019 when I returned to my birthplace after 30 years away, which, yeah, sounds like it was a pretty intense experience. And she talks about the different family members who she reconnected with and whose experiences she heard about and also family members who are no longer around whose lives she heard about in more detail and in terms of putting the book together she also talked about poetic sequences and she said i'm drawn to the poetic sequence for precisely what he arthur T. C, underscores how the form accommodates variety and mutability You have in the sequence both lateral and longitudinal reach, along with expansive ways to sustain inquiry and agility in perspective and formal approach, which I think links nicely to some of what we've been talking about in terms of a book length work versus a work where the artist tells you like, uh one at a time, please <laughs> for your own sake, one at a time for the love of all that is holy one at a time. Don't give yourself a stomach ache. This um, one's a stiff drink. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, which is interesting uh, to like have a collection where there is a sequence within it or to, to think about how you build sequences in a book length work.
1: Yeah. And I'm that. Yeah. That is all fascinating. I'm like so excited to read this one, um, especially because What I've read, um, I actually, I just checked it out um, from the library and have have read a a few poems from there. But I'm excited because um, I love what I've read of eye level and um, Shia has such a, like, um, as sort of the title, eye level um, indicates, like, the visual um, is, like, was a very big focus um of the poems um in that book and this one is as well although in in a slightly different way because um the the at least the beginning um are kind of they're almost like ekphrastic poems ish but they're kind of provoked by um this photographer who took these photos and then hid them, um, during, and was kind of like a government paid, uh, photographer in China. Um, but then was also taking these other photos that like, weren't, (laughs) wouldn't have been allowed. Um, and it was during the kind of, um, cultural revolution. Um, and so, so it's kind of like thinking about these photos and, Anyway, and and a lot of the tone has, at least in in the beginning, um, feels resonant with with the tone um, of the first book. So I'm I'm excited to see how how she's I don't know like building off kind of the work that she's she's already done and kind of how she's sort of furthering her examination into you know the visual. Um, and, and the book, um, the rupture tense also, it opens with an excerpt from, uh, Walter Benjamin, uh, about like photographs basically and, um, things like that. So it's, uh, yeah, um, it's exciting.
0: Very exciting. I always like. A history lesson in a poetry book. <laughs> and I like learning those kind of cool, specific details, because oftentimes what happens with poetry collections that are historically informed is they take something that's usually overlooked. It's almost like uh, kind of the way journalists will often find and then latch on to these untold stories of major events. So like the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Yeah, I know what that is. These photographs and the depth with which that aspect of it is being examined in this work i wouldn't get somewhere else
1: yeah no definitely it what yeah what i learned is he basically the photographer like could take some photos so so basically what happened is he was working as a photographer taking taking basically propaganda photos for the chinese government but then was taking these other ones but he couldn't show anyone them so basically they just were hidden and accumulated Basically, it seems like there were like 30,000 photos that then were discovered, basically, um, that he had taken over the years of his life. Um, But there's this kind of moment in one of the poems called Memory Soldier. And this is it's like a prose poem. And this is one of the like stanza paragraphs for every propagandist photograph he published. He earned eight frames of film. The photographs that would never get approved he slipped carefully into brown paper envelopes surplus hardening to archive um which is like that last line is such a great i don't know example of what you're talking about of that kind of poetic sort of insight into a fascinating like historical moment and person and character yeah that's
0: incredible and you learn so many specific historical details as well. Love I know.
1: That. Ah, so good. I think
0: we got to uh, head brings back. Us, yeah, brings us right back to the winner. To the winner. Hunks. John Keane. New and selected poems by John Keane, published by The Song Cave.
1: Which has, as he noted in um his acceptance speech, a fantastic cover and said that a lot of people were picking it up just because of the cover alone, which is basically like that's exactly <laughs> that. It's interesting. Uh, I remember listening to something. Natalie Diaz said that about when my brother was an Aztec, that her cover, which is also very striking. It's just kind of like it. they're very different, Um, but it's a great cover. Um, so definitely check it out if only for the cover alone, but also get the book and read it. Um, yeah. And yeah, Keen, um, he is a poet, he's a translator, he's published full length works of fiction. Um, he was a 2018 MacArthur fellow. Um, he's been part of Cave Canem. Um, he was part of the Dark Room Collective, um, which he referenced in his acceptance speech. Um, Ricardo,
0: he's been to Breadloaf, he's done all the different fellowships, and he's also the managing editor of Kalaloo, or at least he was, I believe he still is, which is the premier journal of literature, art and culture of the African diaspora. Um, and in reading an interview with him, he taught himself Spanish and Portuguese, which is pretty cool and i think 10th. he knows some other languages as well um wow. which i i learned that reading a an interview with bigother.com uh which is a very wide ranging interview which they posted in june of this year but i think was originally conducted and posted in like late 2020
1: yeah no i'm i'm like so excited to read this um it also won the 2022 lambda literary award for gay poetry um so this book is is really um racking up the honors um and yeah maybe we should should we like read a poem from that is is probably from the book (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah there there's two poems um that Came out in Bomb magazine, which is a great magazine. Um and yeah, which one should what do you think we should read?
0: Uh let's read Folks Are Right, My Nose Was Wide Open.
1: Yeah, so this is um a poem from John Keane's book punks that also came out in Bomb magazine. It's called Folks Are Right, My Nose Was Wide Open. Um Here we go. Folks are right. My nose was wide open by John Keane. Folks are right. My nose is wide open. I left one man and fell for this one. He's not the one. So what am I to do? I don't. Instead, I stand in the doorway of the New Age Cafe on Newberry Street, waiting for Kevin, because we're going to talk about poems. All the poems I haven't written, because I spend my waking hours talking about them, reading the work of others, trying to remake myself as Essex, Hemphill, or Neruda, or Ceylon. For example, I can't write poems about this crazy dude I'm seeing, how he writhes in bed like a loose hose when he comes, how he stands for hours in front of the mirror admiring and caressing his muscles, saying nothing but, looking good the yelps he serves up when i enter him i don't write poems about how he silences me with certain looks his lies about being from quote black money how he laughs at the serious things i say how often when i'm with him i feel more alone than the hardest years of high school Rather, I write down lines towards poems, abstract pronouncements about unhappiness and being scared and unknown and misunderstood and death, which makes me think I'm addressing the problem. Love is a dream where both of us are trying at the same speed without quitting. Then Kevin shows up and I'm not so sure. Because before I can get a word in about my plight, before I can pass today's half starts and failures across the table, he starts telling me about last night's fight with his girlfriend. <laughs> oh, damn. I
0: know.
1: Oh, what John. What an
0: ending. What yeah. an ending. I it's, know. It's all heartbreak and humor and, uh, Yeah
1: yeah that's a wonderful poem.
0: It's such a fascinating and so like such a keenly observed little meditation on love and relationships.
1: yeah, it really is. It's um, yeah, lonely, but trying to get connection um but but then kind of like knowing that's a little silly, especially with like this guy um. But then it's like, well, he's still the only guy here. <laughs> Almost. Yes. Um, yes.
0: When well, it's so interesting, the that one line, uh, there's the one line, how often when I'm with him, I feel more alone than the hardest years of high school, which in the context and also knowing a little bit of the biography of John Keane and knowing his age, like being Closeted in high school and feeling so alone, but feeling even more alone in the context of like in a relationship where you're not connecting, being like more alone than not having any relationship at all is just such a specific observation and so good. Yeah. Um, And there's so many of those little moments in the poem, like Kevin showing up at the end, but Kevin's got a girlfriend. (laughs) Uh, It's like, oh, yes, the life raft is here. Yeah. Except it's got a giant hole in it. Oh no. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. It's interesting because well, it yeah. also feels like it's got like that little bit of wryness in all the observations. Uh that can come as they're happening, but it also feels a little bit like a benefit of hindsight kind of poem. So it's all present tense and and stuff, but it feels like somebody who's looking back on a period of time. Uh Which gives it kind of a fun feel because you feel like you're right there in all the scenes, but it has that little bit of like almost a narrator, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and especially because there's also the kind of like like self reflexive thing where it's also about the trouble of writing poems and how he's trying to write some poems and it's hard to write these poems. Yes. Um <laughs> all
0: the poems I haven't written because I spend my waking hours talking about them, reading the work of others, trying to remake myself as list of all these poets.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um and it it's which is perfect for what happens in the poem because you know, then he's like rather i write down lines towards poems. And so there's kind of this sense that like there's like a poem that's in this poem and then it, it kind of like, it has that moment that is kind of a beautiful, like profound lyrical reflection on something, you know, that could even like be at the end of like a Shakespearean sonnet where it's like, love is a dream where both of us are trying at the same speed without quitting. Um, which is like, so such a, um, Especially, like, at the same speed without quitting. I don't know. That's just, like, a marvelous way of thinking about what love is. And in a way, it's, like, there's that poem (laughs) that, like, he's writing toward, which is also, like, sort of about Kevin. But then Kevin shows up, actually. And then that's the end of the actual poem.
0: Yes.
1: Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's great.
0: <laughs> it is. And there's also the meta level of all of this agonizing over the poems that he can't write about this situation when we as the reader know we're reading a poem that was written about that situation. So yeah. that's another hint towards the the amount of remove you're maybe supposed to feel, which is like, oh, I can't write this poem about this stuff, and I can't even talk about it. And Kevin's not here yet. And it's like, yeah, but you know, we know you got there in the end. So hopefully it's okay. <laughs> but this does sound very rough <laughs> yeah but yeah it's got drama it's got it's one. it's you know extending our movie thing i feel like the trailer for a poem like this like it's got a little bit of everything it's got romance it's got adventure it's got tension it's got suspense <laughs> it's got humor you know <laughs> it's got it all
1: and there's like the there's like the line like the quippy line it's like You writhe like a
0: loose hose when you come. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, It ends with a joke that'll have you laughing until you go, hmm. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Coming soon. Punks, new and selected poems.
0: Clearly the talk of the town. It's national book award winning punks. Yes. Selected poems by John Keene. Very exciting.
1: Yes. Um,
0: so yeah, I think we've done it. Check out Punks. Check out all of the finalists and the long list. Check out the National Book Awards Ceremony. It was hosted by Padma Lakshmi. She particularly called out in her opening remarks, which I thought was really nice, not only the many uh, pointed attacks on libraries and librarians, but also explicitly linked it to the attacks that are happening on LGBTQ plus people across the country. Um, and then segued that into talking about her own experiences learning more about the history of the country and how she wants her kids to learn about the history of the United States and how hard that can be to do in an honest way, just in general, but especially when the books that contain those honest histories are being attacked and targeted for banning and removal. Neil Gaiman also gave some really lovely remarks before presenting a, a special word to Art Spiegelman, who is best known as the author of mouse. It also feels like a pretty auspicious time for him to be honored. Um, Obviously he's done a lot of work and he also in his acceptance gave a really interesting speech talking about uh, sort of where graphic novels and comics fit into the literary world and how for a long time they weren't siloed away as being for kids or being less serious um, that they were something that everybody read. So if you get a chance, in addition to checking out all of the poetry, uh, long list, finalists, winner, check out the other categories and give the broadcast a watch. It's it's pretty interesting, especially when you can skip through certain parts of it on YouTube. And it, <laughs> it's, it's on YouTube uh, and you can kind of pick and choose which of those speeches you want to listen to instead of waiting to see what happens next. Uh, <laughs> I think is always a benefit. So yeah. Yeah. Have you read these books? Let us know. If you go, if you do go out and, and read them, let us know what you think. Um, yeah. You think about the decisions for the long list, for the finalists, for the winner. You know, we want to hear all about it. You can get in touch with us via email, close talking poetry, com, or you can leave a rating and review. And in that review, don't just review the show. Also, let us know what you think about the National Book Awards. Um, <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, we'll be back again next year, I think. I hope so. Yeah, these are fun shows to do. It's a it's a nice uh it's nice to dig a little deeper into all of the finalists uh when getting ready for this. I yeah, no, it's that.
1: it's exciting. It's it's a uh, we you know as as is our um slogan, you know, we read one poem and talk about it and read it again. We're used to going deep and this is a nice chance to survey the the terrain from a greater distance. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, um, it is uh, enjoyable for for you too.
0: Yeah, we'll be back with a regular episode uh, next Friday, so don't worry. We'll still read a poem, <laughs> talk about a poem, read a poem again. We're not giving up on. Uh, on
1: Listen, that. this we... is a bonus, okay? <laughs> this is just, yeah,
0: this is just a little extra because some, you know, National Book Award's still a big deal, and uh, maybe we'll be more on top of the Pulitzers next year. <laughs> Who we'll knows? see. We'll see. They sneak It'd up on It'd be nice if they could give me a heads up or something. Yeah, no, they, they sneak up on you in a way that these don't. So maybe we missed this year. Who knows? Who's to say? Uh, <laughs> all right. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Those reviews help us with the algorithm and are the best way for us to find new listeners.
1: Do you have thoughts about this poem? Or is there a poem or poet you'd like us to cover on a future episode? We would love to hear from you. And there are tons, tons of ways to get in touch.
0: Yes, you can send us an email to Close Talking Poetry at gmail.com or find us on Twitter. I'm at Jack Rossiter Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. And the show is at Close Talking. On Instagram, we are
1: at Close Talking Poetry. And we are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash
0: Close Talking. And speaking of all of those many and varied social media platforms, a very special thank you to our incredible social media manager, Corey Chena. Woo woo!
1: Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.
0: See you next time. Come back again. Please come back. Just one more time. Door is always open. Okay, bye. Mm I see ya.